Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise sovereignty was never ceded and the treaty was never signed. CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Hello, you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. What is the date today, Jess? I don't have the date with me. The actual date would be the 11th of March ah, this morning. Yes, ah. so it's a Wednesday, lovely Wednesday, 11th of March. Should have been able to figure it out, I suppose, from Ooh, last week. Yes. But I, I never can. <laughs> I never can. I <laughs> just count seven days forward too hard. T- t- Especially on a Wednesday morning. Mm. Who has mm. a math brain on a Wednesday morning? Who has a math brain? We are in studio today. As you can hear, Rob is not with mm-hmm. us today. Um, and I've got to say, I've been getting really used to Rob setting up the studio for us. <laughs> it's been a bit frantic this morning. <laughs> it's been a bit frantic. We can't find the, the external cord mm-hmm. right now. My which micro- we really wanted. Which we really mm. wanted because we want to play you some sick, sick mm. tunes. Um, <laughs> and I can't just hold my phone up to the microphone and hope. So that's... No. <laughs> like we could, but... For you listeners, probably not the best. Probably not the best. Idea. And we want to try and get something good. Uh, mm-hmm. I've also got like this microphone that just, <laughs> she's she's wiggling a lot. Yeah, for like a visual sort of mm, uh, picture. Oh uh, yeah, Edwin is just, yeah, just really struggling with the microphone <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Just, I'm holding it as, yeah, I, as we go. Yeah, holding it in our hands. Anywho, um, big things of this week yes. is International Women's Day. Mm-hmm. Jess. This last Sunday. You are a woman. International Women's Day. Yeah. Good Women's Day. I had, I, well, well, I did have some plans to go and do some things with some people, but... Oh. <laughs> That's my favorite. And not that I'm like, uns- like I'm not, I am, I like to think of myself as a social person, but I don't know what it was. Sunday, I just felt like just taking some time Ooh. to myself to sort of acknowledge research and just sort of reflect upon women in general. Wow. Um, so to celebrate International Women's Day, I took some time to myself mm-hmm. um, to do exactly that, reflect and research women and our history. Really? All day. Really? I did it all day. Wow. Um, this did include reading some of my favourite books. Have you seen 100 Nasty Women of All Time? No. Okay, well, I, don't, I can't remember the I author. Haven't. Probably should have got that before I said this on air. But it's it's an amazing book. It goes through history and it just it, t- it gives it paints a really great picture of the evolution of women and everything that we've done for the world, which is a lot. Yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. Like, uh, the fun fact that I found was the first person to actually – start a university mm. ever um, was a woman in Morocco named Fatima Al-Fahiri and she no. made the first university ever which is called Al-Karim. That is amazing because we, we think of these institutions as being dominated and made by men so it's nice to kind of undercut exactly, that. With like, like, no, to me I think that uni yeah definitely a patriarchal thing. No a woman actually made it so that was cool. Hell yeah. Um, yes yeah, so I went through all this but also I really another very cool fact that I found because mm-hmm. you know I don't know how much I love my coffee and how much I need it in the morning. You do. Um, especially Wednesday breakies. Yep. Um, I actually found the inventor of coffee paper filters was a woman named <laughs> was a woman named Melita Benz, who was a German housewife who in nineteen oh eight had a love affair like myself with coffee. Um, but she was quoted on saying she was often irritated by the coffee grounds left in her cup and being so frustrated 
Um, she invented the paper filter after using pages from her son's school books and then getting a patent designed from it. She then went on to establish her own company in her small apartment. And at this time, women couldn't, couldn't actually hold their own businesses. So with the help of her husband, who on paper ran the business, um, she became an employee at a time when women weren't even allowed to vote, let alone work or have, an, have a position to invent. And today it's now a multi-million dollar business. So there we wow. have it. I thought that was very cool. That is Hats off to her. That is actually very cool. Yeah, Melita one of, Vance. <laughs> one of my favourite uh, kids' books was about this this kid who inherited a fortune, and <laughs> his grandmother's fortune had been built off making the making tea bags oh. and designing the little staples that hold tea bags together. And it blew my little tiny mm. mind because I was just like, oh my goodness, of course you'd make so much money yes. from this tiny innocuous thing. Yeah, so so hats off to Coffee Filter. Yes, we love that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so my... how was yours, Dave? I'm struggling to remember what I did. <laughs> because, oh. uh, because just a little side note, we should mm. be celebrating women every day. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's one of the big yeah. ones. Is uh, you know what I actually did this year? I forgot because um, <laughs> I got really confused because like my one of my organisations was doing something on Friday and then on Saturday, like three mm-hmm. CR was posting some stuff which was sick, mm-hmm. and then on Sunday. My mum turns around. And she's just like, "Oh, by the way, congrats for being a woman." Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I was like, which day is this? Are we like slowly expanding to a week? Because I mean, it's, yes, but like, we love that. We want that. We totally but. want that. But like, um, I'm. It was just. It was just kind of like, where is this? So I think yeah. I ended up gardening. Uh, that's great though. It was gardening, a lovely Sunday. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness! It's, I'm very bad at re- like thinking back of our, <laughs> over a week, which is why we've come out recently with our fact fact <laughs> thing. Um, so or whatever. Yeah. Just so. To, uh, I got kind of a cool fact this week. Um, it's not it's not as funky and feminist as yours, but it's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, I was reading this week about tulip mania. Oh, mm. explain. Do you want to guess? Roughly. I don't want to guess. No, because <laughs> <laughs> in case I'm like very far off. But that's Tom, damning. Tom, go. Okay. Tulip mania. So basically, it's about the Dutch and their tulips. Okay. Uh, in yeah. early, of course, it was right. In early 1637, tulips were like. All craze, mm. biggest fashion, mm-hmm. right? They had just been kind of brought back in this cornucopia of uh, plants and, yeah, yeah, new flora and fauna mm. through colonization and obviously imperialism that the Dutch had been busy romping. Every European <laughs> country had been busy romping in the 16th yeah. century. This included like things like potatoes, greens and red peppers, tomatoes, Jerusalems and artichokes, right? Mm-hmm. And all these things had been really prized and tulips were kind of seen as like like people thought they were kind of onions. Oh, I <laughs> see that. Like peel the layers back. Yeah, yeah, they mistook them for like vegetables, so they weren't really that big. But all of a sudden, basically, um, bring them back, bring them back into their like country. Uh, the tulips reacted differently because of the different climate. So they were infected by a virus, which basically changed their very simple colour to like yeah. these ridiculously beautiful patterns. Also, it was because of a virus. It's because it's of a virus okay. in the plant in the plant species. So if you think about like your your parrot tulips today, which mm-hmm. are like you know the reds and the yellows and the Carnival tulips. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably been brought out, brought out of a virus. Oh, wow. Anyway, because of that, they became this massive, massive craze. Um, and I was reading about it, and it's just fascinating. Uh, it, it basically was like wealth and status, you know, it was, it was a symbol of wealth and status. Apparently, the Prime Minister at the time actually had a garden where like three prized tulips sat, and it was surrounded by mirrors. Like, you would oh, have tulip like seeing. A shrine. You would have, yeah, you'd have tulip seeing parties, which is just. 
amazing. Um, and yeah, they were like these, these treasures, and they were they were also known for being stolen because like they were in so highly prized. Yeah, and they were also like they were locked up in garden beds. Like it's a very oh, accessible wow. thing. Anyway, nowadays, truly amazing. Tulip mania actually refers to a financial reference for an example of a financial bubble when the price of something goes up and up and up, but not because of its intrinsic value, but because of the perceived value around it. So people expecting to buy it for profit. Right. And I was wondering kind of what's our tulip mania of today? You know, an item we possess because of the social capital as opposed to actual. Yeah. Actual worth, so a bit of an illusion. I was thinking, perhaps coal, but coal might not be in that. Um, might not be in that. That might be a bit of a stretch of a metaphor. Could, yeah, I would even like I. I find. Ooh. I don't know. That's probably what comes to mind. Maybe not the exact same. Maybe it doesn't fit that definition, but I, I would maybe go for that. I I could I could I could take that uh, one. Yeah. There you go. Though. Yeah. Anyway, so tulip mania. Really interesting though. <laughs> tulip mania. I didn't know any of that. So thanks, Adwin. No problem. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm bringing you the straight facts. <laughs> With that, actually, we might get into today, today's show. Now, Jess, you have the rundown with you. What's I coming up? I do, yes. So, after alternative news, we will jump. Uh, this is at 7.30. Where, 7.30? Yep. Yeah. Edwin, you're talking to Chris from the Refugee Council of Australia. We'll be discussing the, the detention of many evacuated asylum seekers at the Mantra Hotel in Collingwood. Now, this yeah. happened last weekend. This happened, This so this was a rally that happened last yes. weekend. It, um, these people have been held in detention in this mantra hotel since last year so it's an ongoing story so that'll be really interesting to tap tap into uh 745 it's the segment our tram thoughts week two yes i think we're both very excited about this arduin's Mm. running it on period policy not just period policy feminist policy (laughs) feminist policy exciting stuff um eight o'clock jess we've got an update on the gliders uh yeah so i'll be talking to chris shunga again she's joining us to talk about her organization's gecko to fight uh to protect the victorian greater gliders Mm. and just an update on how the case is actually going with the labor government and the the cause behind it awesome and then kind of finally finishing off the show we have a familiar face uh, either in (laughs) studio or on the phone candy bowers who was a performer, writer, workshop extraordinaire. Last time we had her on, she was talking about a workshop. This time she's talking about um, her show. Now, you'll have to excuse me because <laughs> it is a little bit of a rude title, but it's uh, King Shit and the Lady Muck for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it's a cabaret, which I'm personally very excited yeah. about. I like my cabarets. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get Candy, Candy in to talk about it. It's upcoming on this Saturday. so Exciting show. Exciting show. Um, but first off, alternative news, Nitty Gritty, Shelley Elise. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah. Boom, nitty-gritty, hoo-wee. Right down. 
It's 7.13am on Wednesday the 11th of March and you're listening to 3CR Wednesday Brecky with Eidman and Jess. I'd like to start Alternative News this morning by talking a little about the US signing a historic agreement with the Taliban that sets Washington and its NATO allies on a path to withdraw the military forces from Afghanistan after more than 18 years of unceasing conflict. This, however, has made many Afghans worried as it's on the Taliban to stand by its word when the US retreats. And as history has shown, this is a huge gamble. Negotiations are hoped to be had between the Taliban and Afghan government to work towards a complete ceasefire and new political roadmap for the country. This deal, aimed to end one of the world's most painful conflicts, has been welcomed by US allies, including us, Australia, but until now, the Afghanistan government has been absent from the peace process at the insistence of the Taliban. Many are concerned that the Taliban should be made to make more commitments to ensure a genuine peace process before the US withdrawals. The Taliban previously refused to take part in talks until the government released 5,000 Taliban prisoners, which President Ashraf Ghani has refused to do so. The deal was, does not guarantee the protection of human rights in Afghanistan, especially for women and minority groups who were suppressed and persecuted by the Taliban. Afghans have voiced their opinion that this is poorly thought through by the US and its allies, including Australia, and it is just a quick way of getting out of Afghanistan by the Trump presidency. This also brings up questions as to whether the Taliban will actually sever ties with terrorist groups. In the short term, it's thought by diplomats and scholars that the Taliban will actually most likely tactically reduce its relations with certain elements of the al-Qaeda network to demonstrate its commitments under the deal. But research has shown that the Taliban sees foreign militant groups as valuable allies due to their shared ideologies and long-standing material support for one another. This, as well as the long-standing breaching of human rights by the Taliban has made Afghans seriously concerned. There are a list full of challenges for the Taliban, including civil rights, political rights and various negotiations that will need to be undertaken now that the US has finally said they will pull out. But with what strategy and morale have the US done this for? Mm -hmm. And so it actually will be really interesting to watch this in the near future. It will take a while, obviously, and negotiations will be... Will be a many, <laughs> mm. but it's just, I think after everything that's happened, everything in history and now, it's quite obvious why Trump is pulling out. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just sort of quite concerning for a lot of Afghans, especially with the, obviously terrorist groups are always a, in, in the media with being like the biggest problem, but also like just genuine breaches of human rights and political rights not being able, not being for civil, civil reasons and even border, border, issues crossing to other for freedom of yeah it's i always find it's a it's a repeating story isn't it yeah you've got this ongoing conflict uh especially with the u.s being involved in the beginning and getting it intervening and then leaving and leaving it beginning it for all these factions sustaining it Mm-hmm. Creating a huge mess and then just popping out yeah. and it's basically they, the they international create rep. A void. Yeah, yeah, they the create a complete void for who, whoever is there and whoever has the most power to just yeah. and form their own. We've learned lessons from every single country mm-hmm. that the US has just kind of dropped out of conflict. Yeah. Not just the Middle East, that, just like all yeah, across, that it, yeah. it's you 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 leave a country devastated mm-hmm. because you've effectively gone in, yeah. broken down their social inf- their their infrastructure, yeah. and then been like, oh, time for yourself. It's time, yeah, it's time for me to leave. So it's. Very scary, I think, in some ways. Like, just because it's so complicated. And as you said, like, there's so many ramifications for so many different people. 
that like only their voices can really give us a direction of where they need to go. Mm. And the US as a political actor is just not oh it's just <laughs> not, get us started on that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 just it's I don't know. Nice. I, I heard about it and it was this really exhausting so, idea. Is yeah. it's like it, those people have already gone through so much. That country's already you, gone so, through so much. Even, like, us as just... We're sitting in Australia right now. I just mm. feel defeated as to what... Like, you can see these people and what they're saying on social media, mm. get a feel for how they're feeling, and then put it all put all the pieces together. But really, like... They can... The, the politicians can say what they want, but really, like, it's got to a point where, like, history is repeating itself. Yeah. We have an idea of what may happen. Mm. And if that does happen, it's just going to cause even more problems. So, yeah. like, just NATO and its allies pulling out, like, it's just... It, it's, it's just going to cause more problems. It's going to be haphazard. It is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And that kind of puts me also in mind for um, kind of talking about Afghanistan back in Australia a little yeah. bit closer to home. Obviously, a big story recently has been the Afghani files mm. um, and also the fact that the AFP raids, so the Australian Federal Police raids, mm. into journalists and ABC regarding the yes. Afghani files has actually been ruled as okay by the <laughs> high courts, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to put up, like, Straight up, just not quite right. Uh, yeah, freedom of speech is just like, especially with all this Julian Assange thing, and it's just, it's just, it's trickling through, and it's becoming more and more frequent with the, with people in power, such as the AFP, being able to. Yeah. So that was freedom. by the, yeah, that was by the federal court. Sorry, sorry. Just yeah. for, for those court <laughs> nerdists out there who's like, wait, you got it wrong. Yeah, it's the federal court, and the ABC has uh, said that they're really disappointed, and they are thinking about appealing. <laughs> That's a little bit of old news, but I think like it's you got to keep bringing it up because. The um, freedom of press is just being eroded in this country, yeah. and we have amazingly conservative reporting laws already, yeah. uh, which like sometimes can be good when you're protecting people <laughs> who are like in stories. But most of the time, it's it's at the moment refusing freedom of information yeah. um, requests and stuff like that, which is just messed up. Yeah. Uh, the second thing, also, as I wanted to bring up, also the whistleblowers blowers involved with the Afghani files, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the Afghan files, uh, such as David McBride and others uh, who are currently facing court just, summonings and yeah. all those sorts of legal procedures. I mean, it's scary. Of, like, yeah. they're just trying to do their job and see, that, see how they see their profession. Mm. And this is, uh, yeah, I understand why these, why these things, like, why they were put in place, mm. but it does make sense for some things, like you said, for mm. protecting people, witnesses, etc. But yeah when it comes to actually getting the information out there and for the greater cause, like, mm. we can't do anything. It just feels I can't do anything anymore. It, it is, and I think it's one of those things also, uh, we've got to stick up for journalism yeah. in this country. <laughs> it's very easy not to, and I, I don't think it's very easy to stick up for journalism. I mean, you don't really have an avenue to do it, but it is, I don't know, I've started writing to local politicians that just, like, yo, support <laughs> Like, we need to support Assange, for example, yeah. at least with a trial in Australia. We need to support whistleblowers because the idea is if, without that process, without that accountability, you, I mean, we're already so corrupt as a country, but, yeah. but like, yeah, it's, it's just degrading in front of our eyes, which yeah. is depressing. Yeah, um, it is. Anywho, back to news story number two. <laughs> yes. Are you going to raise our spirits just a little bit? Um, I hope so. Like, it's a little bit bleak at the beginning, but it does get better. Um, with International Women's Day having just been this this weekend... Um, even if women should be celebrated every day, I thought it only fitting to bring up some news regarding research of women, and in this case, safe sex practices and the ongoing debate on female genital mutilation in regions mm. across around the world. Uh, in the conversation early this March, an article entitled Social Norms Stop Ethiopian Girls from Making Safe Choices About Pregnancy. 
this explores why, despite progress in, in reducing the rate, that there are still more than 16 million adolescent girls becoming pregnant each year worldwide. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, uh, for adolescent girls aged 15 to 19, maternity is a leading cause of disability. Really? Also, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm going to give you a few facts uh, before I get into the uh, research, so it might be a little bit heavy. Um, also, according to WHO, 90% of these mothers uh, live in the global south. Girls living in these countries, many of which are in sub-Saharan Africa, are also most likely to be malnourished without access to quality maternity care or safe abortions. Now, this leads to complications and consequences that can last a lifetime. I remember doing a case study at uni about women who um, went through unsafe abortions and they'd be completely ostracised from the community when it went wrong and they couldn't, they had no health uh, care to be able to you know, help them. Yeah. Um, the maternal mortality rate for girls under 16 years is around four times that of women in their early 20s in these regions. In low and middle income countries, the overwhelming majority of adolescent pregnancies occur in marriage. Um, so the report from GAGE, or the Gender and Adolescent Global Evidence Research Group, on Ethiopia released last year back the, all of these facts up. Um, in Ethiopia, 60% of girls are married by the age of 18, this is a significant factor in the high rate of pregnancy among 15 to 19 year olds. Um, with this report, many adolescent girls do not get the care they need and have actually spoken up about this in Gage's research. Free contraceptives are available in most communities in Ethiopia, but many girls are actually lacking social access because of conservative cultural and religious norms. Mm. Um, a dominant norm is that girls need to give birth as quickly as possible after marriage to prove their fertility or else be ostracised because this is like ingrained in their social and cultural sort of practice. Mm. Um, with this gauge research shows that although access to contraceptive information and supplies vary by region, cultural and gender norms are still a barrier to use of contraception, even where it is made available. To combat this, researchers at Gage found that practices should be followed and practiced like those in and that have been successful in Amhara, a rural region in northern Ethiopia, which has had the lowest average age of marriage. Um, the practices include the expansion of health extension program in which the government funds training for female secondary school graduates and employs them to deliver health care in rural regions. Mm. Another example is the um, Women's Development Army, which is a government-supported initiative involving women volunteers. It spreads uh, messages about family planning and maternal care at sort of grassroots level. So these sort of, you see these, these are popping up a lot in these areas. So it's, I think this is what the, the research is showing that, um, these are actually helping, and then they're bringing all the rates down. Um, another model was developed in the same place, Amhara, to improve relationships between young women and their husbands and in-laws to increase their uptake of contraceptives, because this is where that sort of pressure is coming from, like the ingrained cultural and social norms, mm. um, where, you know, contraceptives... Uh, some girls said that, like, they were scared that it would, like, cause... Like, they were told myths that it would cause their hair to fall out or them yeah. to become, yeah, like, infertile. Yeah, um, so non-profit organisations have worked to uh, end, end all of this by empowering women and girls um, with, by engaging with community gatekeepers, um, such as religious leaders, health workers and village elders. Um, so these models for adolescent pregnancy and early marriage have also helped to combat female genital mutilation, which has had a 100-year battle marked this year in eradicating the practice by use of education of the harmful social and cultural norms. So it's really exciting to see, like, these after all this bleak sort of research, but yeah. it's also like, it's like, it's really starting to, there's a lot yeah. of grassroots organizations that are actually helping this now. 
and reducing these rates. Yeah, and I feel like that's one of the stories also I think that needs to be stressed the most in mm. International Women's Day. Sorry, this is my two cents. <laughs> uh, but localised feminism and localised solutions, it's such an important part of the feminist movement to especially acknowledge and critique past feminist mm. thought and movements as being very white, middle-class dominant. And this idea that progressing, we've got to keep focusing on listening to the voices of the people in the areas, finding out solutions work for that specific region and community mm. uh, before we can go further. And I, I think it's just it's great to hear that sort of story because it's yeah. like it, it it brings up that sort of thing for me where it's like we've got to keep listening to people's voices yeah. <laughs> and not assuming the answers because assuming the answers. It doesn't, it doesn't work. No. It doesn't work. All right, we're going to play a few community service announcements and then be back in with our first interview. Kevin Hines Grow delivers gardening and nature-based programs to people of all ages and all abilities. Our programs provide great opportunities for positive personal development and well-being. Join us on Saturday the 21st of March for our annual Autumn Fair and Open Day. This is a fantastic opportunity for you to meet our friendly team and learn more about our programs with a focus on experiential learning and positive personal development. There will also be a huge variety of perennials, fruit trees, herbs and seedlings for sale in the nursery, as well as great coffee and food. Our Autumn Fair and Open Day will be held from 9am till 3pm at 39 Weatherby Road, Doncaster and 512 Sydney Road, Coburg. Kevin Hines Grow is a 3CR supporter. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam Mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kalta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. Y'all fucking lizard. I really know. Mining company. Gotta go. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. Celebrate your furry and feathered friends at Pets in the Park for a day of entertainment, competitions, wildlife encounters and interactive demonstrations in the name of responsible pet ownership. Interactive Australian wildlife encounter, the Roo Keepers, return along with animal behaviourists...
contamination. You realize all the time we wasted. You realize all the pain we facing. Please pour a cup, feminine libation. My gosh, we raising. Please sympathize all the lies we raising. Please realize all the time. Family energy, drink a couple quarters on my course, then I code up. Hey. If I wrote the word, money stacks for all my daughters. Hey. Never ask for payment in the womb, times nine. Now we see the blood on the street, times try. Feminine energy, balance up the indestructible in the vaginal heaven in thine. Heaven is mine. Spiritual, lyrical, mother sang sweetest taboo, ripple kind. If I was astonished by the level of shame, feminine energy, energy rain. Intuition and ambition, intuition strength. Intuition and ambition running through my veins. Pour out the love, let the healing begin. The birds and the I beg you listen me. I beg you open your ears for you waiting at they say. Waiting at they talk. Na serious talk at they talk go. No be telling I speaking. Listen. In this world we deal, members say ya, one day go come when we all go go. Before long, we go meet Mama Godo. When we they meet Mama Godo, tell me, waiting, you go see. We the my life jam nation. You realize all the time we wasted. You realize all the pain we facing. Please pour a cup feminine libation. My gosh, we raising. Please sympathize all the lies we raising. Please realize all the time. Female energy, one shot, two shot, three times sorrow. Carry all the weight of the world on your shoulders. Give a couple crowns to the woman who had bore us. Told us, focus, love and support us. Magical, umbilical, my universe is radical. Introduce the nation to embracing what is factual. Feminine energy, almost mathematical. You can't really sum up what is infinite and valuable. Feminine energy, balance up the indestructible in the vaginal heaven in thine. She sing a melody to pass the time. Give us her energy so she feel mine. If I was astonished by the level of shame. Feminine energy, never shame again. Rain, tamed, brain, praying. Intuition and ambition running through my veins. Pour out the love, let the healing begin. Gain. Pick up your energy. Pick up your energy. 
You're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. It's now 7.33 a.m. We just listened to Sound for the Great Energy. Thought it'd be a good song to put on after the little after alternative news, which is kind of a little bit bleak, but. Mm. Happy yeah. days at the end. So. Absolutely. We love Sampa, so. We do love Sampa, <laughs> and that took us a lot of energy to play, so I it hope did. you guys enjoyed <laughs> to hear it. Uh, quick warning before we go into the next story. We will be continuing the heavy news. Apologies, today's show is actually dealing with some kind of, you know. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Um, and just letting you know, we will be discussing Australia's detention centre's uh, policy um, and individuals who have experienced severe trauma under its policy. This can be a bit intense for 7.30, so if you if it's getting a bit much, maybe flick back in at 7.45. We'll be talking about cool feminist ideas. Um, otherwise, we think it's a really important mm. uh, thing to keep covering this story because it is just so shocking. Uh, so the stage for this particular snippet of the story is the Mantra Hotel, which is located in Bell Street in Preston, where 55 refugees are held currently in closed detention. We have Chris from the Refugee Action Collective to tell us more. Good morning, Chris. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Um, so this uh, detention in the Mantra Hotel started in 2019. Could you kind of tell us how this haphazard detention solution came about? Okay. Um, it's probably over 60 people now. But the uh, detention came about, this is people who have come under the Medivac legislation before it was repealed from Manus and Nauru for treatment for uh, health issues which can be, you know, a range of um, physical, mental health um, things, quite severe in some cases. And they spent six years on Manus or Nauru and have now been detained here for seven months. Um, the detention really came about, I mean, people had, applied, had to apply through an arduous process to the mm-hmm. courts to get medical treatment before the Medivac legislation. And when that happens, all of those people are allowed into the community while they're here. Many of them are still in the community, right. causing no issues. But around February 2019, when the Medivac legislation was proposed and the coalition was attacking it, part of demonising these people was to say they're a threat and they started to lock them all up. It was sort of political mm. posturing. And so people coming have been locked up as a matter of course um, ever since February 2019. And so we're saying enough is enough. You know, almost seven years now, these people have suffered enough. Um, they were being damaged by detention offshore and, you know, damaged by detention onshore just as much. They can't recover in those circumstances. Yeah, and I think it's a really important uh, thing to highlight that previous people who had come under Medivac evacuation, as you said, as we're living in the community, and the fact that the Liberals and the co- sorry the coalition decided to make this shift last year around the Medivac uh, legislation really highlighted like the unreasonableness of it. It was it was an extra unnecessary move. Um, when we talk about detention centres in this country, a lot of us think about the offshore detention centres. That's the ones that are being condemned by the UN. Uh, people don't really know that's happening in their suburb. How has this stayed? I suppose, such an unknown thing for for a year, over a year now? Um, well, I mean, detention in, in Australia's suburbs has been going on for 20 years. Mm. I mean, if you talk about the detention centres, like in uh, Broadmeadows, yeah, that's true. one in Maribyrnong. But the, the hotel, um, which seems to be overflow, nobody's got a, a good answer as to why they're being held in the hotel for the detention centre. Um, that's been happening for seven months. It has been kept fairly much 
um, under wraps. Mm. Um, I mean, that's partly the mess. It's been seven months. Uh, the men, you know, people when they came, it was small numbers. Nobody was sure if initially it was just going to be a, a short-term transitory thing mm. for a month or two. Temporary thing. You know, um, the, the mostly men held their, you know, didn't want publicity in the early days. Um, you know, they were happy just to, to be here but not be on Manus and mm. Nauru. Um, but, you know, as it's gone on, that has changed substantially. I mean, you know, people think of hotels as being associated with holidays, but they've become places of torment for refugees. So they're stuck in their rooms for 19 hours a day. They can't open the windows to get air. Uh, they're not allowed outside at all, so they can't get any exercise unless they uh, request to go back to the detention centre with buses yeah. at Broadmeadows and spend an hour. Um, but many of them, um, you know, have panic attacks or you know fear the high razor wire fences, mm. and so don't want to do that either. And so they're um, they're kind of uh, stuck there. And certainly, um, some of the leaders like uh, Moz, you know, quite a well-known musician these days from. Uh, Manus um, asked us to organise a um, protest, uh, which we did recently. And uh, and the Grandmothers for Refugees also had a um, a Christmas uh, sing-along vigil uh, just before Christmas, which was quite successful also. Well, not they'd been released, but it got a, a good turnout and a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did that. 300 people turned up. Um, the mayor spoke. Lydia Thorpe, former MP, mm. spoke. So that was quite good. And what was noticeable was a lot of local residents who came out and said, look, I didn't know this was going on just across the street. What can we do? How can we visit? So there, there is going to be an ongoing campaign uh, to get to get the, uh, the people released. Mm, absolutely. And I think... Thank you for correcting me about the seven months, by the way. But I think it's really important to talk about the conditions, as you've mentioned, that they're, they're staying in because, I mean, cannot open windows, closely confined, uh, overcrowded at times. One of the biggest things to talk about is the, the fact that these individuals have experienced huge amounts of trauma. And one of the biggest um, statements to come out of trauma is the fact that waiting and this idea of not knowing what's going to happen is a huge factor in, build, in kind of reliving that trauma and not being able to find any sort of closure towards it. And it seems like it's quite deliberate by the Australian government to put people through this or to put people, make people endure this. Um, it's, it's certainly been deliberate offshore. I think the policy has been designed to break people. Mm. Uh, they wanted things to be so bad that people would return to their, their home countries, which, you know, is the, the horror of, of that. Yeah. Um, here, you know, I think it's perverse. Um, mm. You know, there, there are people from the Manus and Nauru who are in the community. There, you know, there, there is no logic. These people should be um, released. Mm. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's further torment. Some of the people are, are very broken. Um, and also, they often haven't got the health, health treatment that they came here for in the mm. first place. So there's one man who's been here three months, requested constantly to see a counsellor. That hasn't happened. Um, there are two people with um, severe dental problems, like mm. one guy who lost most of his teeth because they rotted and never treated on uh, Manus and has been told that instead of getting a bridge to fix those teeth, he has to have them all pulled out and have a plate put in because that's cheaper. Mm. And it's you know these sorts of things again and again um, mm. that, that are happening to the people. 
they don't get appointments unless they keep requesting them. They often don't know how the system works here. So mm. it's, it's, you know, quite a, a horrific um, situation. Absolutely. And you mentioned that uh, you have been in contact with some of the people staying at the hotel, organising the rally around them. How much contact do you have with um, people inside the hotel and their voices, I suppose? Are, are, we able, are we able to get access to them? Yeah, you can go and visit the people. I mean, it's quite a, a, an arduous process to visit. You need to put in visit applications a week in advance. You need 100 points of ID. You've got to bring that ID with you. But you can visit them, and certainly that was one of the things that the local residents wanted to do, and you know, they're going to start doing that as well. Um, so, you know, I'd be on, in contact probably pretty much every week by phone uh, with people inside. Mm. Um, I would go and visit less regularly than that, maybe once every month. Um, there are, you know, there are other people who visit much more regularly. Mm. Um, but yeah, people can go to to visit the um, the, the men inside, and, and the, you know uh, they they do appreciate visits because they're they're stuck in hotel rooms 19 hours a day. And asking kind of on that on that line, I know I volunteer within kind of advocacy around refugee policy in Australia, and one of the things we've got to be super careful about is being really trauma informed and understanding where these people are coming from. Uh, what would you suggest to people who do want to go make those visits, just in the way? It just in how they go about it uh, to be the most useful and constructive rather than re-traumatising these people or kind of adding distraction or noise where it, it doesn't need to be. It's already a stressful situation. Um, but, I mean, in order to, to visit the people there, you do need somebody's name and you need their birth date. Um, I'm not going to give those out on radio. But no, of course. <laughs> if, uh, so... So in order to visit, you need you basically need to know somebody who's already visiting, gotcha. and they can sort of help you through what you know what is appropriate and what isn't. Cool. But I mean, to be honest, when you go there, it's you know just like a, a hotel waiting room. Mm. Uh, or if you go to the detention centre, you can also visit Broad Meadows as a, a waiting room where you talk to people, and it is just like having a chat with you know anybody else. Um, there's um, and the by and large, I, you know, I'm not I'm not aware of um, any problems ever being caused uh, by visiting. Cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. And would you suggest maybe getting involved with the Refugee Action Collective here in Victoria to kind of establish those connections, get informed, and then get down to Preston? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, you you don't have to go and visit to get involved with the Refugee Action Collective, but we mm. always need more people. We're all volunteer organisation. So we meet every Monday at 6.30, uh, usually at the Nurses' Union, which is 535 Elizabeth Street in the city. Anybody's uh, welcome to come along. We're also having a, another rally uh, for the mantra, which is going to be Saturday, April the 25th at 2 o'clock out at the hotel, which is 215 Bell Street in Preston, near mm-hmm. Corner High Street in Bell Street. And if people come along to that, um, they'd be able to get some information there or if they come to our meetings about um, going to uh, visit. Mm. Um, but, I mean, one of, we do think it's, it's the putting on of some um, political pressure of shining a light, which is going to, to lead to change. Mm. You know, despite Absolutely. there being a coalition government in power, kids and families come off the roof. Morrison said that would never happen. Yeah, you know, there it's, is, it's yeah. we're pushing for change and changes coming about. 
Mm, well, thank you. I've just pencilled in that was the 25th of April for the next rally coming up, protesting the matter. Uh, yes. Awesome. Well, and you... so I'm talking about refugee stuff. Also, yeah. the Big Palm Sunday refugee rally is Sunday, uh, yes. April the 5th, which is 2 o'clock at the State Library. I encourage everyone to get along to that as well. And Moz will mm. be speaking via phone at that rally. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, we'll definitely put those links, uh, those dates in our rundown for listeners. Um, thanks, Chris, for coming on and giving us the update to this story. Again, it's, it's happening in our own backyard, and it's, it's so important to stay tuned to things happening in our local suburbs. So thank you. Okay. Thanks for having me on. It's also worth saying, just before wrapping this up, that there is um, basically a lot of people being held across the country. This is not just in Melbourne. So there are 41 in the Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation Detention Centre in Broadmeadows. Uh, there are another 150 uh, held in two locations in Brisbane. So I think what this highlights for m- this story highlights for me is it's kind of like... Um, we we still believe it's very much on offshore detention centres, but they're starting to be in our community. And because they're in our community, we now have greater access to putting pressure on local governments and actually getting our voices heard. So yeah. that, it's, that's exciting for me yeah. as much as it is. It's very surprising yeah. as well, because like, obviously I, I, even I didn't know about this sort of thing happening in our communities where we can see it in broad daylight. Mm. Um, but like you said, yeah, maybe it, it, it makes me hopeful mm. that uh, we can actually push for more change yeah. when we're right by its side. Absolutely. So the uh, dates for that will be going up, and we're going to listen to Better in Black by Telma Plum and then go into <laughs> Tram Thoughts. <laughs> Woo!
And that was Selma Plum, better and back. Okay, so this week's topic is unintentionally in the vein of Rob's ideas last week. Uh, don't worry, we will mix it up a bit as we get in better shape with this segment. But in honour of Women's uh, International Women's Day, I was thinking we'd look at new ideas uh, for how we include women in the consciousness of the community. So with that in mind, we'll flip to our theme tune and be back to kind of explore some funky ideas. Heads up, we will be talking about women's issues in this next segment, which means that we will be talking about Small, we'll be referencing things like sexual violence towards women, uh, yeah, discrimination, that sort of stuff. It might get you a bit fired up and we'll make sure we give you a uh, advice line to call if it, anything is upsetting or distressing. That's our theme into this. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> but before we start, um, just a quick shout out um, for anything sexual assaults related, domestic or family violence related, um, head to 1-800-RESPECT. Um, if anything triggers you during this segment, um, head there. Yeah. Head there, reach out. Yeah. Um, yes. We, we shouldn't be too heavy today, but like, no, yeah, it's still just important to touch on. Heads up. Yeah. So, Jess, I wanted to start by asking <laughs> you, um, as a prefix to this conversation, yes. what do you think a city for women would look like? Big question, but what do you think feminist theory, I suppose, would look like embedded in your community? Really? Like, I think this... <laughs> This is quite like a very broad Very broad. Thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, honestly, I think I just want to touch on the safety of it, really. Like, if I, I wear a city where I don't have to walk with my keys in my hand when it's, like, late at night, um, a city where, obviously, there is equality with everything, pay, um, sanitary items, mm. uh, toilets, anything. Mm, absolutely. Um, I really, okay. yeah. Safety, that sort of thing. safety and Equal access equal to services. And equal access to mm. services. Yeah, it, it's funny though. It's funny because mm, cities are designed by men. Community yeah. spaces are predominantly designed by men and inherently and subconsciously reflect that perspective mm. and usually shut out females' perspective or female needs. Or to reference, you know, John, <laughs> needs of basically anyone that's not a man. Uh, so to speculate what it might look like under a woman's design... Uh, I thought we'd take a, look, a little look at different approaches countries around the world are taking. Mm. So I've got three case studies which cover over design, services and policy options that we could potentially see in Australia. <laughs> so the first one I want to start off with is Barcelona. So Barcelona, basically the BBC looked, did a like, huge report into Barcelona and the, some of the design ideas they've got going on. At the moment they've got a very feminist um, mayor going over the, uh, over there called Ada Kalau mm. and she's been like pushing for this change so I've got five different changes that they've been bringing into Barcelona recently would you like to pick a number from one to five let's go five let's go five <laughs> nicely done 
All right, so number five is a design policy they've brought in recently called Say No to the Sleeves. Oh, my personal favorite. My personal favorite, yes. So well done. (laughs) Um, Basically, what Barcelona has done is set up these um, stalls called anti machoism stalls in public Mm -hmm. spaces near like discos, youth hotspots. Okay. And they're these big open stalls that are manned like 24-7, or I should say wool-manned, <laughs> throughout the night. Technical. Uh, that provide, yeah, information and resources around sexual assault, sexual okay. harassment, but also just like women's safety in general on nights app. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically like a spot where a woman can go up and be like, hey, I need some like time out, that sort of thing. I think there might be a medic like on hand. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Um, that's also running parallel to this thing that uh, this app called No Means No, which is basically an app where Barcelonian residents can report sexual harassment or assault that they see anonymously, and that information is being collated by uh, police services and women's services, in town with women's services, to create like a map, a hotspot map. Of okay. um yeah of like sexual assault so they can better watch out for it. Do you know how long that that app has been happening like going for? Like do they have a lot of the have they accumulated any of the research yet? Still very or? young, still okay. very young. So this report came out in 2019, so mm-hmm. I think the app's been going since 2019. Okay. Um, Ada has been in for four years now, yep. so yeah. So I it's think, like a data it's, system. It's sort a of data thing. system. Okay. It's a data system, but also like I believe it has some propensity to like actually connect up with yeah. police services. Yeah. So these like. It creates that culture more of hope. Well, it also like individual cases. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. So I mean, if you're reporting anonymously, I believe you can leave like people's names Mm -hmm. and like, or like if you know information about it. So yeah, that's. I don't know. That was really exciting for me. I like the idea of having women present in public spaces. I think so too. I think Mm. um, especially when the the first uh, when you were talking about those uh, public spaces near discos and. those bars and clubs and that sort of thing. I think that's really cool. Um, it's sort of like uh, Australia right now. I know that when I'm out at a bar or a club or whatever, there's often posters behind the bathroom doors. I don't know whether you've seen this too, Edwin, mm-hmm. um, where it's like uh, any antisocial or sexual mm-hmm. harassment that you may be experiencing, like come and tell the bar staff. Like, so I guess that's the only sort of thing I've seen in Australia. But yeah. I think what obviously what bars Barcelona is, is um doing it's yeah really cool yeah and I was wondering whether it might work here I mean you make a great point with yeah. like that I think when we're a bit more in some ways spread out like, I think so too Barcelona has like public squares yeah. literally I'd love to see built that. into their blocks but like I don't know maybe it's an idea for how we can make women feel safer out in the city mm. by having that that presence there and as you said having those like those routes to take that yeah. those or like just know where they are when you feel unsafe. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay, moving on to the second, <laughs> second option. If you liked Barcelona, you're going to love what Scotland's doing. So <laughs> Scotland's focusing on services. And I want to start off with this question. Jess, what issues come to mind when you think about women and menstruation and community spaces? All, all, all together? Yes, all together. Okay. Like, what's your, what's your thoughts um, when you think about, like, menstruation out in the world like when yeah. you have to go out and do your day of business yeah so like i multiple times i have had my period mm. um when i'm out and about don't have any sanitary or anything mm. on me and i have nowhere to go i have to sorry for this uh, but i have to use toilet paper until i get to a colds or a yeah. 7-eleven mm. and obviously you have to pay for it taxes btc mm. um but yeah that's what comes to mind it's quite poor it's interesting, right? Yeah. Because I was talking to someone about this and she was like, I know every single public loo and restaurant yeah. loo 
in my like square radius, like my my suburb, <laughs> because uh, she said she actually has quite a like a steady like period. Yeah. And she needs to she needs to access a bathroom every said, hour. Like, yeah. Like every hour on the dot. <laughs> and it was actually shown. It's actually she been proven that women spend three times more on average, like on the loo yeah. than men due to menstruation yeah. things like this so toilets that especially a point, yeah. are a massive I, thing actually yeah let me because I, I do want to go back to that as well when I go out and I have my period yeah I have to genuinely think it through like how many sanitary items do I need mm. where are my toilets um, where am I going tonight? where am I staying tonight do I have a toilet yeah where, no what, you're do right I I don't, and I don't even think about this and I think that's also another issue exactly we that, think that's a problem there's a huge <laughs> amount of planning that goes involved which yeah. I just don't think a lot of uh, people uh, men understand no. so one of the things scotland's recently done has taken a service approach to this and actually mm. legalized uh, free provision of sanitary items in every community facing center I love that. so in 2017 they made uh, free sanitary items in schools colleges and universities mm. in 2018 they included uh, they extended that to libraries and leisure centers and now 2019 uh, they're saying any community facing organization including places like pharmacies so this is a huge step forward for uh, mm. scotland it's been heralded this policy and service has been heralded as like the first service ending poverty uh sorry period poverty in a country mm. especially seeing as in uh uk one in ten girls are unable to afford sanitary products so it's like it's this huge problem there it's a huge problem here as well yeah. uh but this country has actually taken a proactive step forward to actually ending that hopefully by making it accessible which would mean you can go out on a day and know that you can reliably get them rather than having to you know, kind of grab a girl and be like, did you have sanitary pads? <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. That's yeah. pretty big. Um, yeah. Do you think, do you think you feel differently about your community with that sort of accessibility? I, definitely. I feel like it'd be more of a community with that accessibility. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Keeping I would short and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, it would because it's all, it's like fend for yourself. Like you plan it out, you do this, like you, mm. And it's sad because then you have to, well, obviously, girl, girlhood is great. I love girlhood. It's my favorite thing in the world. Mm. Um, so many times girls have given me a pad when I needed one. But, you know, having that accessibility, it's just, like you said, Makes in a patriarchal yeah. sort of society. For me as well, it brings up a huge amount of visibility because yeah. men hate talking about menstruation. They feel well, very uncomfortable most men, about it. Yeah. It, they, is, just, they just cringe away and they say, oh, don't, don't speak about it. And that's fair in some ways because it's, like it's not a thing they have to deal it's, with. Yeah. At the same time, though... Mm. Imagine if your guy just had tampons on him. Yeah. So when you're like, ah, shoot, he's ba he's got a backup. Like he's stocked up. That's that would be great. <laughs> I would appreciate that. Yeah. Anyway, that that's our second case study. Okay. So we've had um, say no to the sleeves. Uh -huh. We've had end period poverty. <laughs> My final one uh, is a real policy option. This is in Finland. So Finland's new government has just announced plans to give all parents the same parental leave in a push to get fathers to spend more time with their children. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this links back to kind of feminist theory is parental leave has been found, or maternity leave has been a huge feminist issue for a while, especially within the wage gap um, mm -hmm. or wage inequality space. Uh, women have been found to be discriminated against in hiring, in being given maternity leave, in having job insecurity, within returning to work, and it's just something that fathers don't usually have to face. Mm. I mean, under the current system in Finland, maternity leave is 4.2 months uh, for women, whilst fathers are given 2.2 months until the child turns two. Mm. On top of that, another six months parental leave can be shared between the two of them, but this new legislator would actually mean that each parent would receive 6.6 .6 months of leave, and pregnant women would get an additional month's allowance mm. of, from, like, work. So they'd be paid on work. And 
this blows my mind. I think this one's my favourite one because it's one of those really quick, simple solutions Mm -hmm. which actually makes such a big difference. I mean, not only do you get to create a culture where fathers actually get to be fathers. Yeah, like present in that and have the same time as mothers, Mm. but on the other hand. Exactly. And on the other (laughs) hand, you actually help combat this wage inequality that we see or wage discrimination that we see with women. That we're fighting so much for. Mm. Where it's like you're probably not... you're less likely to get hired if you're mm-hmm. young and engaged or, like, married. Yeah. You're less likely to be have a job after returning from maternity leave. You're less likely... To, you, sometimes it's hard to get pay while on maternity leave. Yeah. Certain works don't recognise maternity no. leave. Um, and splitting it half-half... It's like almost on no Looking after a baby is exhaustive. Yeah. You shouldn't have to do all that work by yourself, no. boo. You should get some time off. You just have like, that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, it, it angers me. Yeah, no, it does. Mm. That's the last of my options. Now... As I said, that was my favourite option was paternity <laughs> leave um, or parental leave, I should say. <laughs> Just favourite idea from today. I think today. of like how in, in terms of how like smart and how obvious that these options should be. I love that last one too. Mm. Like I feel like every sort of government around the world could easily adopt that adopt that initiative. Mm. And it just it, it stems down to obviously society issues as well as equality issues. Mm. But my favourite is um, having that, the Barcelona space, those hot spots. Um, Absolutely. No, it, it, the app's cool, but um, even, like, physically having those booths when you're out, um, maybe in a little bit riskier situations, which they shouldn't even be classified as riskier, but they are, and that's a problem that we're facing with. Um, but, yeah, having those spaces with people there for mm. your safety, that's... That's awesome too. Absolutely. So like that's my favorite. Yeah. Excellent. So there you go. We've wrapped up <laughs> options options to attack, you know, to, to combat sexual violence mm-hmm. and creepiness on the streets, mm-hmm. which is something that every woman will have a story about. Yeah. Period poverty, which is a story Everybody. every woman will have. <laughs> and then paternity leave parental leave, which is a story that a lot of women have, a, yeah. like, a story about that you never hear. I mean, I, when I asked my mum about it, I was surprised when she actually gave me a response yeah. with a story. I'm like, these are issues that we don't think of. They're in our subconscious. And I think, Jess, you sum it up perfectly. It's that, oh, yeah. yeah no, it is. It's like, well, I actually have to think about that. Ah, anyway, on to um, Big Yellow Taxi by... Actually, no, we'll get the sharp to take us back on this, our theme. And then oh, we'll yes. be back for Jess's interview yeah. for the morning. Interactive demonstrations in the name of responsible pet ownership. 
interactive Australian wildlife encounter, The Root Keepers, return, along with animal behaviourist Lara Shannon from TV's Pooches at Play. And vet expert Dr Melissa Meehan demonstrates animal first aid for that special member of your family. Pets in the Park, Sunday the 22nd of March, 11 till 4pm, Central Park, Malvern East. The City of Stonington is a 3CR supporter. Tree Project are a Melbourne-based organisation that have been replanting Indigenous trees in Victoria for 30 years now, and we need your help. You can become a Tree Project member, a seedling grower in your own backyard, or organise your friends to do a planting day. If you're a landholder in rural Victoria and would like to restore habitat on your land, Tree Project is keen to help out. We also offer sponsorship opportunities and take work teams for a planting day. Visit treeproject.org.au to learn more. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. It's now 8.07am. Chris Sharinga from Gungara Environment Centre in Victoria is joining us to talk about her organisation's continual fight to protect the Victorian greater gliders after the threat of the recent bushfires and now the even more imminent threat of continual logging in the gliders' natural habitats. Last time we spoke to Chris, Gecko was endorsing the signing of the petition, the petitioning for the state government to remodel their action statement for the sake of the gliders in Victoria. Hi, Chris. Good morning. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Great. So Gecko tweeted a few days ago um, that Wildlife of the Central Highlands, or WATCH, obtained a temporary halt of logging um, in the Central Highlands. The Supreme Court has granted an interlocutory injunction in relation to these um, in, in relation to this, um, the injunction will protect these forests um, to ensure that the threatened species impacted by the recent bushfires are not pushed further towards extinction by logging. This is a temporary break from logging in a small proportion of coops within the central highlands, 13 out of more than 800, um, but it's vitally important for threatened species like the greater glider um, that inhabit these areas. This is on your Twitter and at Gecko. Can you firstly give us an update on the logging since we last spoke to you in mid-February? Um, yeah, so the, the areas of, um, of forests that are subject to logging are in the central highlands. Um, yeah, there's 15 coots, so it's really exciting um, and a, an excellent outcome for wildlife of the Central Highlands who are running the case, mm-hmm. or represented by Environment Justice Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, in terms of East Gippsland, uh, yeah, logging hasn't actually commenced since the bushfires and it probably won't for another few months. Mm-hmm. We're still um, yeah, yeah, sending emails to the government trying to speak to them to... Um, Make sure that the greater glider action statement, well, that it should be re- still should be rewritten, mm-hmm. and the case is an excellent sort of um, complement or reinforces really reinforces that mm-hmm. that um, I mean the court made a decision that these species are obviously the greater glider, smoky mouse. Um, these species are obviously really affected by the bushfires and that if logging was to continue in the habitat then it would threaten their continued survival. So that was the ruling of the, of the judge, which is 
yeah. Fantastic news, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's really it's really amazing. Yeah, you'd all be extremely excited as we all are. Um, how yeah. did, did they actually say? Obviously, this is a temporary break. Uh, as the injunction, mm. how long will this injunction go for? Is it until the case is heard, or can you explain that to us? Yeah, yeah. So it'll be until until the the case is heard. Okay. But yeah, I, yeah. It's it, it's usually pretty unclear. Um, yeah, how long that could be. A bit sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the last time that we spoke, we talked about the petitioning for the state government to remodel their action statement for the sake of the gliders in Victoria. Um, do you have yeah. an update on that petition or how did it go? Well, over we had over a thousand people email and people are still people are still emailing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the important thing. It's just constantly keeping up, mm-hmm. keeping up the pressure and just saying, you know, you need to come out and talk about this. It's been deafening silence from the government in terms of the action statement for the greater glider and other threatened species, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're going to be continuing to log, whether they're going to do salvage logging. So, yeah, there's, it's been really quiet and, mm-hmm. yeah... So oh we're just hoping we're just hoping that the government does the right thing, yeah, um, yeah and protects these last remaining areas of forest. Yeah, well, yeah. So the the Labor government has been criticised for this. Um, in the mainstream media, salvage logging has been disguised as a kind of clear, clearing or cleaning up, um, amped up by the forestry union. Um, yeah. So have. Uh, have you been in contact with any government reps about this? Oh, obviously, because the, the case is now in pro, it's in it's in progress. Have you had mm. any contact with them, or have they said anything to you guys? Um, not, yeah, not not regarding, yeah, yeah. no. And because it's it's difficult with the case, I think it's something that you can't really, yeah, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, with the so in the coming months, you guys are working with the Environmental Justice Environmental Justice Australia um, lawyers who are for nature and community to mount the best case that you can, as as said so in your no, tweet. So, the, so the, the case isn't being run by Gecko; it's okay. being run by Wildlife of the Central Highlands, which is a group like a citizen science group based in the Central Highlands. Great, and so yeah, the so lawyers are yet. from and the lawyers are from Environment. Yeah. Australia. Watch. Yeah. So do, are you guys yeah. just obviously advocating and getting people behind this? So what's what's Gecko's role yeah. in this? With this, is it with well, your ongoing surveying work or? Um, we're just we're just really supportive. I mean, me, um, <laughs> Gecko and Watch have worked together before. Like Watch helped help put out the petition. Yeah. So sort of it's like working together or just supporting each other because I think the glider. Yeah, it's a. It's an issue that's a, it's a statewide issue, mm-hmm. and because the fires were so bad in East Gippsland, like you have to then consider it's wider areas of habitat, yeah, preserving areas that yeah, even though they're like completely separate populations, or mm-hmm. it's still so critical that those that those populations in the Central Islands are preserved in case yeah, more fires and. Like 25% of its habitat is, is lost in East Gippsland, and that's probably a conservative estimate. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really important For sure. to look at it from a statewide perspective, yeah. And so we've obviously spoke, spoken about um, petitioning, getting contacts, sending emails, um, yeah. but how can we in Melbourne help? How can you tell us all to help? Do that, do that exactly? Keep emailing? <laughs> yeah, calling is, calling is really good. Yeah. Calling is really, really great. So calling, 
um, the Environment Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, calling the Premier's office, calling um, Jacqueline Symes, the Agriculture Minister. Um, they're really good people just to, yeah, yeah. get a hand. Great. <laughs> Definitely. Well, um, sounds great. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Have a great morning. Thanks for having me. You too. And we're going to listen to I Want to See You Again by Rachel Brennan. You're listening to 3CR. It's 8.16. Now, we have had some oh, intense sort of conversations, so mm. we're actually capping it off with a really fun interview topic <laughs> in my in my humbles. Um, we've got Candy Bauer on the line, a performer extraordinaire. Mm. Camber has, uh, sorry, Candy has actually been on to talk about past projects before, especially on Wednesday Breakfast, but um, I've got to say, this one's got an especially cool name. Mm. Uh, heads up, it's a bit explicit. King Shit and Lady Muck for Hollywood. Now, good morning, Candy. That is an explosive <laughs> title. <laughs> and Thank you. A lot of fun to say on radio. Yeah. <laughs> What's it all about? <laughs> what is it all about? Yes, please let us know. 
Well, the the actual whole title is King Shit and Lady Luck Decolonize the Fuck Out. That's oh. actually the whole title of the show. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, and um, it's based on a 2018 Visual Arts Commission that I had from Campbelltown Arts Centre. To they just put out a an open commission. It was my first. It was my entry into visual arts, and my first my entry was commissioned, which I think I don't like to say out loud because I've got so many friends. Mm-hmm. in the visual arts, and they were just like, what are you talking about? Um, but it was a lovely thing because I did my show Won the Bear with them. That's where it began. Ah. Uh, that's toured a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Michael D'Agostino, the artistic director of the space, said, I think I want you to represent in this amazing exhibition of uh, Campbelltown Arts Centre. And I wanted to do something, uh, to, be, to be honest, at the time, I was pretty surrounded by Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, um, <laughs> you know, getting News. getting together like can't look away. Gotcha. Like a bin fire slash car accident, you know, everything's blowing up, can't look away. Mm-hmm. And what I realised is that I grew up with fairy tales, with kings and queens, and of course in Australia, no discussion of colonisation or mm-hmm. what was going on for black and brown folks either in South Africa, where my parents are from, and, you know, pretty much my roots, and Australia. So um, taking lead from a few of those satirical character-style um, ah. visual artists like Cindy Sherman, right. I decided to place myself in these two people. And I also had done a little workshop mm-hmm. um, with um, a at the Malt House with a few um, artists and the, the writer Future Fidel who wrote Prize Fighter, he was he was like sort of immersing in King Leopold and the Congo. Right. Um, and in, in an intro, I got to play King Leopold and I decided to play him as a brat, as like this, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this like person that was like, I don't want it. Petulant child. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And I began to think, oh, this is how I want to embody sort of monarchies and colonists mm. as these absolute shits. Yeah. And I remember when my mum used to, when we didn't do chores at home, she'd call us Lady Muck. Right. Or, or like you get called King Shit if you think, you know, sort of like you think you're all that, but you've got doing nothing. You're being right. a bit of an a-hole. On the side. And, I thought, and that's what I think about when I think about colonizers. Mm. Um, so I began to create these satirical characters, but everything's built in truth. So, mm. say King Schmidt carries around this glass jar of a, a small dismembered member in formaldehyde. It's a little Aryan cock, gotcha. essentially, mm-hmm. that he's stolen from his granny's collection. Um, you know, because his granny collects um, the genitals of white people because, well, exactly mm. as the monarchy collected um, different um, people from the continent. Mm body parts and genitals and of course in France Sachi Bartman's vagina was on display they got to cut up her body and do what they liked with it Mm. so everything has this like really I think horrifying terrifying room but when you put in the context of like dancing to Beyonce and not and being unaware of going, I know it's not really nice now Mm. but it's just I've always felt comfort when I looked at it like trying to understand like the it's so highly satirical, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I need people to laugh their guts out and then go, what? Yeah, it, you know? it, it sounds like rich source material, honestly. I, I love the idea of the sat- satirical takeoff of royalty. That's 
fantastic tradition that I'm glad you're continuing, but also that historical aspect and really that pointed political message or political wake-up call, which is like, no, 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 this is, you know, as you said, stuff we're not talking about, stuff that's not being brought up, and the absurdity of it. Yes, and I think the other thing is I watched this beautiful film, I Am Not a Witch, and Mm -hmm. uh, the young female director, we don't often see black women getting to do satire. Like Mm. we've got now the black woman um, comedy show, if anybody has to see it, check it out. It's from America. But usually it's men getting to do satire Mm. and getting to do these sort of like inside-out things. And the other thing is the characters have um, a South African accent. Mm -hmm. And um, it's all very, you know, loose, loose. The the premise being, what if black and brown people were the colonizers, right? Gosh, uh So, um, you know, I'm sure they'd be speaking actually in, you know, Closa or Shana or something, but I'm like, you know, it's satire, it's funny, it's a show, sketch, Mm. um, and I want people to understand me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I saw, I don't know why, horror, once again, horror, I saw the bloody midday movie version of how Harry and Megan got together. You know oh, they always make a TV show? No. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, how? I barely ever watch TV. I'm at my mum's house. <laughs> nice. Here we go. What? I know it was like, this is serendipitous because there's no reason I should know this about them or how they got together and <laughs> let alone fully reenacted, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the funny things for me was he always says something. I think it's what's one. I sort of, my brain looks fried a bit on mm-hmm. it. He takes Oh, I can't remember, but he takes her to the place. It sounds like he always seduces women in Africa or something. And he's like, this is my spiritual homeland. Yeah, it's like no. you want to gag so hard, right? Oh. And there's like black people in the background, like getting their bags. I'm like, is she cool with that? Like, I don't know. I just think it's such a... Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. with white people. Mm-hmm. And she brings a ginger home and her father's like, oh, no. This oh, is, no. You know. <laughs> and then... And then she takes him to like Norway. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the snow and One like, I just love this place. It's like my spiritual homeland and oh, you know, and then they take all the white people and they're that's in the snow. Amazing. And you know, but she still wears a stole that she loves again from her great grandfather, which is made of the scalped um hair of young Norwegian children. Like it's like a oh fine blonde stole. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, so the interviewer might ask, like, isn't that a bit contradictory? And she says, <clears throat> it's so soft and I've had it since I was a child. I would never, ever, you know, I'd never condone that day. Right, gotcha. But also, I don't want to just give it away. Like, the, all this stuff that uh, I think the butt. <laughs> is happening. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, hang on. Um I think even, you may. Even, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, I think you make such a brilliant point with women, uh, especially uh, black women's access to uh, satire. Satire mm-hmm. is such a powerful tool, and I feel like w- what you're saying here with, like, that absurdism, that bringing up of p- just these weird political structures and powers that just make no, have no foundation or any sort of sense or are extraordinarily insulting. I mean, when you talk about that last example, I think of... Um, the fact that, you know, a lot of us consciously go, we uphold the systems of colonization. And whilst we're like, well, you know, it was, it was, it, I, I can't be responsible for my ancestors' uh-huh. actions. It's like, no, that's, that's not how it goes, you know, and it's that yeah. upholding. So I love the idea of like, you know, I'd, I'd never condone it today, but I'm, I can't throw it away. You know? Yeah, yeah. As a, a but even the, really great image of that. Mm. 
Yeah, even the aesthetic of going, like I would go as a young person, I don't understand why black culture is the main culture being appropriated. Mm. Why aren't people wearing like Hungarian embroidered tops or like, you know, like Holland, like headwear or something? Why is it black culture? Mm. So I wanted to flip that as well and go, like, um, I don't want to give away too much, but it's just fun. <laughs> I'm working on it now. Yeah. Um, you know, I opened with a really classic, very white culture song. Okay, it's Hallelujah. Right? <laughs> yeah, all right. All right, you're classic. Because yep. King Sheep wants to show that he understands white culture. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. It's <laughs> not <laughs> a very idea that this would be a song, like, in the way that, you know, yeah. um, all those strange things like Graceland and Toto's Africa mm, and stuff, mm. in this world is flipped. Yeah. And, yep. you know, things like in the magazine covers, instead of it saying, you know, um, plus size model exploding onto the scene, it's like minus size model. Makes and, a um, debut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah gotcha. It's like a bit sad for skinny women because it's a European model. Gotcha. Yeah. And so if everything's turned upside down, and it's it's really food to, to write my um, first comic pilot as well. Mm. So I'm trying to work out how I, and I've always done it with live work, like how I translate into creating that as a pilot and I feel like it's um it's very much where sort of I say like where Mighty Boosh meets Black Adam meets like radical black feminism mm-hmm. um which you know it's really fun because like that's I'm a great mix LA. that's a fantastic right? mix of stuff I mean. it's really yeah it's interesting <laughs> for me to know that yeah. on a world level my ideas and what I'm doing and coming up with and playing in and mm. mischief making in is actually a really like globally breakthrough. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Which is, you know, pros and cons, which means you have to actually break through. Um, something that, you know, but also I'm really, because I think the thing that I fear coming from Australia is because we're often like we have to really pitch down rather than up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get into that mode and not have the bonkers ideas that could be the thing that really shifts culture or... You know, like yeah, cool stuff, like for kids to say, "Hey, that's not right." She's got the head, the hair of children. Yeah, like yeah. you know, and then you go, and here is what the, is in the Queen's collection. Yeah, I gotcha. It's you it's, know, shrunken heads and mm. body parts and. I just think it's, you're you're right. It's such a, it's a fantastic way of getting different messages across, and I mean it. Got really everything from reading about this. You're looking at um, Afrofuturism, satire. Yes. There's also that idea of cabaret mixed in there. And yes. this is happening this weekend, March the 14th. Yes. Look, <laughs> because I'm like now also, I have signed with the Hollywood agents. Mm. I'm um, just waiting for one of the projects to drop and then I literally will dash, get my Gosh. visa and dash. So Terrible. I was like, holy moly, I'm living by the seat of my pants. Yeah. But also, to really break open this um, pilot idea, I want to try some mm. stuff out, material, world, um, and those characters on an audience so I can really hear that, that reaction. And I went, I'll just do a show. It <laughs> just know how to easy. Do it, you know? <laughs> Made sense. And Hayes and Hyenas were like, yes. And then I thought, oh, funny, you know, then uh, you got to market the show, you got to get people there. Yeah, absolutely. So it would be lovely if people would come along. <laughs> 
fantastic. And see it, you know, hopefully before they watch it on television or on streaming on a platform, I think. It's That's a, the really fun part of it, you yeah, know? Absolutely, absolutely. Got to agree. Well, thank you so much, Candy, for joining us. Um, all of the information we'll link in our description and we'll definitely get you, uh, yeah, tag you and all that sort of stuff. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's Lovely. super exciting. So good oh luck with God, it. Oh, my God. Can I say one thing? Yeah, yep. Oh, my God. I know you're probably running out of time. I did an anonymous white guy micro fundraiser for it. <laughs> no. Only <laughs> white men were allowed to donate. Three women slipped in, in and one of them said, oh, it's on behalf of my husband. I'm like, nice, save lady. Nice. I love that. that. Yeah, only 6% of the people that have ever supported me have been white men, whereas they ah. earn more money than anybody yeah, else, Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we just hit our target today. Yay. And I was like, hey, white guys, there are at least, you know... 40 white guys out there that get it. You're like, so, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you and who would have thought it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for leaving us on that. Talk to you hopefully when you're rich and famous in uh, Hollywood. <laughs> have a lovely show, Candy. Thank you. And that leaves us with quick, quick wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, today we have had uh, Refugee Action Collective talking mm-hmm. about uh, the mantra and detention in our community. We have had tram thoughts with women, women, women. Mm -hmm. All about feminism. And then we talked about the uh, gliders and, you know, going for that and helping the protection of the gliders with Chris from Gecko. And last off, we just had Candy Bowers with a wacko idea, which sounds (laughs) fan-bloody-tastic. So exciting. I'm... I I love the... I love Blackadder. I love the Mighty Boosh. The satire. The satire. I love that satirical element. I really get around. It sounds good. She's doing wonders. 14th, blah, blah, blah. We'll put it all in the description. All of the links will be there. (laughs) Stick together is up next. Uh, Have a lovely Wednesday, guys. Have a good week. Talk to you next week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.